Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Alex Merrill. Welcome to the Inspirati. I've enlisted a roster of ultra-talented international creators and curators to join me on this podcast to talk about how they've charted their individual paths, overcome challenges, and found their true artistic selves. From candid conversations with eminent makers to showcasing exciting up-and-comers across the industries of art, music, fashion, entertainment, literature, and design, we get to illuminate our perspectives, learning from these unique stars within the constellation of global creation. Creativity. The Inspirati was created for those seeking inspiration and those seeking to inspire. Thanks for listening. With a pair of boxing gloves slung over one shoulder and a head filled with East London street smarts, Zoe Buckman has arrived over the past few years as a bold face of the feminist arts movement. Her multidisciplinary work frequently speaks to universal female experiences, be it the inclusion of embroidered words on the subject of domestic violence, titling a recent show, Heavy Rag, or her 43-foot sculpture, Champ, a glowing neon outline of a uterus outfitted with boxing gloves, which was installed above the iconic and recently shuttered Standard Hotel, RIP, on the Sunset Strip in Hollywood. But in spite of the weighty nature of Zoe's subject matter, the art doesn't shout. It draws you in with its beauty, inviting you to the table of a nuanced conversation about the influences of patriarchy on both women and men. It wants you to feel seen. It thanks you for coming. I first met Zoe in a sweaty cycling class in New York. She's one of those rare individuals who somehow actually makes it look cool to dance on a stationary bike. And then I started seeing her at the Max Mara art parties I would DJ, always dressed beautifully. And I began to admire this woman for embodying the duality that also makes her work so striking. The balance of hard and soft, the ability to crack a joke in a serious conversation, and the desire to find and celebrate joy and freedom within hardship. We chatted about the diversity and the shades of meaning to be found in a John Keats poem or a Tupac lyric, why you can't talk about feminism without acknowledging girl-on-girl crime, and how it feels to break free from using trauma as a muse. I hope you enjoy the following hour within the illuminating perspective of the incomparable Zoe Buckman. You were my number one girl crush in Marvin's Soul Cycle class, and he just plays such good music, and you were always like there with such good vibes and rocking out on a bike and like such a babe. So you definitely made made an impact. 
I know it's like trivial with everything that else that's going on in the world, but I really miss no, that. No, I miss it so much. And- I miss it so much. I've been to maybe two or three of the outdoor ones that they're doing, yeah. and it's just like it's no, I'm not. I'm not going to get freezing in your sweat freezes the minute Oof. you start just not the same no and and just like being in a dark room with like super amazing music and sweating yes. together and moving as a pack it's like one of those things that I always feel like such an idiot talking about but it is tribal and communal and there's something Absolutely. really great about that energy that I miss yeah I agree I, it's, it's a weird thing because it's almost like in New York particularly in the art world like it's considered uncool to talk about stuff like that if you're a woman you know right but I actually I found those classes to be really like instrumental for my mental health at certain times and you know what else I've had amazing ideas I always got ideas on that bike yes always you're like voguing out and and it's dark and then you're suddenly like I know how I want to do that sculpture now and it's like I don't I get that totally in yoga. Get that. I don't no. get that boxing. I think it might be because you're so maxed out that yeah. your brain, it's almost med- meditative because your brain yes. kind of goes blank and then it allows for these ideas to come in. I remember I would come home and like write yeah. all of this like new creative stuff that yeah. I'd come up with on that bike. Yeah. Crazy. How's everything been this past year for you in Brooklyn? And I mean... Cheers on the new president, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's It's good. It's it's definitely a sigh of relief. Yeah. I feel like there are some moments where I just, I want to tear my hair out. And I'm like, I just miss like a sweaty soul cycle class. I miss going to the theater. I miss being like entertained and delighted by live things happening in front of me. And like, I miss being in a sweaty dance floor and all of this stuff. And I can't take it anymore. And then... There are other times where I'm just so amazed at both mine and everyone around me's ability to kind of like find their way through this. And there is a lot about this time that I think I will actually miss when life returns. I keep saying that. I I keep thinking we will live to miss these days. And even though we don't have it all right now in the way we feel like we did at some other point in time when we also were complaining about something mm-hmm. there are lessons here and there's growth that's happening here I'm watching it in so many of my friendships especially with creatives yeah. who especially people who aren't clinging to the old world right right who are kind of like okay what do I do with this time how right. is this special and magic in its own yes. way yeah absolutely how's your daughter doing with all of the changes she's good yeah yeah she's good she's back in school now so that's been huge because she's an only child and so the homeschooling was rough for her because you know at the beginning when she didn't see any other kids that was really challenging so comparative to that she's having a blast they wear masks all day and then like maybe she'll be in school for two weeks and then everyone has to go home for two weeks because there'll be a little case happened or something you know yeah but she's handling it well thank god oh good yeah that's good it's good she's a little trooper yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you are not only an incredible mom but I know that you were raised by an incredible mom can you tell me a bit about her and the experience of growing up yeah absolutely so I grew up in East London, in Hackney, in a very economically poor neighbourhood, 
but a neighborhood that was so rich in in other ways. And my mum, she was an acting coach at RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and she was a writer. And so my household was full of like these young RADA students who would come home with my mum and she would continue giving them lessons in the living room or they would come over on the weekend and, and work on like auditions with her and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and she would often take me to accompany her to rehearsals. And so from a very young age, I was exposed to theatre and literature and the arts, which was, I think, very impactful for my own artistic practice and my artistic expression. She was also an activist and a feminist socialist and very warm and charismatic and rude as well like my mother had the potty mouth to end all potty mouth and like a real appreciation of swear words mm-hmm. as well like they were if, if you had to swear you had to swear really fucking beautifully so yeah I think I would like to say that I had an amazing upbringing and in most part because of her but you know I think the flip side to that is that I I did grow up in a neighborhood in which there was a lot of toxic masculinity. Mm. Um, And there was even within my home that as well. I have three brothers and a dad. So it was a lot of testosterone flying about the place, um, a lot of aggression, which made me and my mum very close and tight knit. And she was the kind of, I don't know, she was that sort of empathetic yoke of the family. But then I would go outside of the home and it was just quite rough. And I think being a young girl and then a young woman, it was a culture that just completely accepted sexual violence. Yeah. And so even like, you know, I've talked to girlfriends now as we're adults and obviously since Me Too and Time's Up, there's been more of a kind of uncovering and people have been examining things that they went through. And I'm like, yo, do you remember that game Feel Ups? And they're like, yeah, fucking Feel Ups. And it was just this thing where like the guys would like rush you and touch you and then you would just like curl up into a ball or whatever it was and just wait for it to be over and then they would all disperse and run off someplace else and like no, none of the teachers did anything about it ever. At school? At school, feel-ups, feel-ups. And then there was Kiss Chase as well, where you had to run and find some place to hide because the boys were going to come and try and kiss you. And, like, it starts off as a small thing, but it just also implants this culture where it's like you're not safe. What you have, who you are, is covetable. Like, you're Mm -hmm. an object that's desirable just because you're in a female body and guys are going to come for you almost like a prey animal right yeah exactly exactly so then in a way then when I encountered when I had experiences as I got older I was like oh this is familiar to me Mm. why is this familiar why is this feeling of like being chased so um and when I say chased I don't mean like um chastity no I got that (laughs) why is the feeling of being chased they're terribly familiar I'm like you just went to like a whole different part of the UK with that comment (laughs) is she chased is she chased (laughs) milady 
But yeah, I guess I've I've realized as I've gotten older that that some things are nostalgic or familiar. And that is because of that very specific culture that I grew up in where it was just acceptable. Well, and then trying to attribute right and wrong as an adult to things that might you might even feel comfortable in right because of your prior experience that's that's got to be right. an interesting psychological examination yeah exactly yeah. and then also how that then affects what we're attracted to and then what we're drawn to you know I, I'll just speak for myself but like I got really into boxing and I look at that and and it was so incredible and and important for me and and instrumental to my art practice and what I was going through at the time. But I think that something definitely happened for me when I walked into the boxing gym the first time, which was underground, like a real boxing gym. It was a, a Puerto Rican place in downtown New York. And when I walked in, I was like, oh, wow, hang on a minute. Like this feels like home mm. in a weird way like almost like you can rewrite some history there a bit maybe yes yes exactly exactly have a corrective experience as yeah. they call it um as they call it at the Puerto Rican boxing gym yeah, they call it. <laughs> so they're like you're here for a corrective experience oh <laughs> we, know you, we, we get girls like you here for a corrective experience <laughs> quite a lot I bet <laughs> What are your what are your early memories of of creating? What was the environment? How how were you nurtured to create when you were young? Yeah, we would devise these plays, me and my brothers, and then perform them to my parents. And I was always more excited about setting out the snacks for the interval. <laughs> And like making the program and the tickets and like that. I really hated the acting part. Yeah. I think I knew even then that I was not a good actor. (laughs) But I really enjoyed the bits around that. And then, of course, like drawing and painting. And, and, you know, I remember finger painting in the garden and, and, and doing things just from a very intuitive place that, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess I kind of miss. But I think the time when I really started to think about what I was creating and like expressing how I felt or how I, you know, what I was grappling with was when I was doing um, photography A-level. Okay. So in a way that was kind of my first, I think, visual art medium was photography. What age is A-level? So A-level, you are 18, 19. Okay. Yeah. So that was your first medium. Before you go off to university. Yeah, Got it. Okay, cool. And then yeah. you went to art school in New York or in London? Yeah, New here York. in New York. Okay. Yeah, and it was also um, a lens-based art school. Okay. It's called ICP, the International Center of Photography. Yeah. And so I started out, yeah, in photo. And what themes were you exploring initially? Oh, my God. Well, I think that my end-of-year project was awful. Like, right, like now... I'm mortified that I was making <laughs> this work and I've since destroyed it. But no. at the time, I thought, <laughs> yeah, it's gone. It's the gone. archives have been tampered with. Oh, yeah, they have. <laughs> at the time, I thought it was brilliant. Bless. Right. Um, so anyway, I did. My project was called Lose, as in toilets. Okay. And I was exploring how 
informed by my experiences, cocktail waitressing in London, which I did for five years. I was exploring how the space of the, the girls' powder room or the locker room in public spaces exists as this little um, unique world mm -hmm. in which strangers, women come together and there's this kind of sisterhood and they share stories or, you know, lend each other makeup or or what have That's what have cool. you it was it was quite it was quite cool it wasn't that so. cool <laughs> so I was staging these images in different public restrooms in New York I okay. would get friends and actors and models and whatnot and I would create these scenes and then I would etch onto the glass of the photo frame um, snippets of real conversations that I remember overhearing when I was waitressing like by the way I used to just like hide in the toilets quite often like I would go and take a break. Um, this was pre-smoking ban, so I would sit and yeah. have a cigarette and just hear things and just think, oh, my God, this is ridiculous and outrageous and hilarious. But you were writing them down. Yeah, yeah, I was writing them down. Did you know why? Mm -mm, no. Just like a curiosity that you yeah. weren't planning on using necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, back in school, I was you know, obviously exploring the female experience, mm -hmm. but I think in quite a basic way, which is fair enough. You know, I was 20, 21 or 22 or something. We all start somewhere. Exactly. Well, and if you were, you know, it's interesting that you were kind of exploring the female experience, but also etching, that's more of a tactile, it's not just flat mm -hmm. photography. So you were already starting to work with medium at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I, I always felt that, photography was not the right discipline for me mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that was to do with you can't really touch it yeah. in a way you know it exists on a negative or on a digital file which is then spat out through a printer someplace else and then usually it's put behind glass and put on a wall and yeah, I was there's like there's a major separation right yeah. exactly yeah and I'm I'm much more into objects and and having my hands on the object so I think I, I think you're right that I was already even back then a starting to work with text and the written word, but yeah. also how to make something become more of a three dimensional sculptural object. Yeah, absolutely. Your work now covers a lot of parts of the female experience that up until more recently haven't really had their place within public discourse from abortion rights to domestic violence to the full depth of motherhood. What does that exploration feel like as you're sort of birthing piece after piece? Does it feel heavy? Does it feel freeing? Is it a combination of all those emotions? Mm. Yeah, I think that until recently I've found the experience of making my work really difficult yeah. and people say oh this must be really cathartic for you and it isn't it isn't like I think that standing in the gallery once you've completed the body of work and you're pleased with it at least to yeah. whatever degree your perfectionism will allow you to be <laughs> pleased with it um, before you're torching it later <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> um there is a sense of catharsis then like oh I've birthed this like I've yeah. processed it through my work but making the actual work and living with it because my studio is actually 
my living room, right? Like I work from home. And so the experience of making work about something that I've personally gone through that was difficult for me or even traumatic mm-hmm. for me. And I'm then, you know, bringing other women and their experiences into it. And their experiences are difficult too. You mm-hmm. know, I might be working with a wedding dress from someone's divorce, right? Yeah. Or a piece of antique lingerie that's like torn or has blood stains on it or something. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I felt for a long time that I'm kind of surrounded by, I guess, complex and difficult things. And so yeah. the experience of going to work in the morning, like going into my studio is not often joyful. And it's in your home. So it's not like there's a real clean distinction between switching that part of your brain off. Exactly. And I do think that is something that I would like to change going forward. However, I do think that for the first time, maybe ever, or maybe for the first time in a long time, the work that I've been making more recently, I'm arriving at a place where I'm expressing more joy through the work. And I think that that had a lot to do with uh, the pandemic, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess just to backtrack, I should just explain that my 2020 actually started off with a pilgrimage to India. I went to India too. Oh, did you? Yeah, I was there for New Year's Eve 2020. Oh my God. Yeah, wow. and it was it was one of those things where I was like, it's the beginning of a new decade. And I got this yeah. amazing invite to go to Jaipur and spend it like oh, at the city palace in Jaipur. And I was so excited. My, my grandfather was born there. Oh, wow. And I've always really been interested in going. But yeah, I, I was watching you on Instagram and I was like, India 2020. She's down the road. <laughs> yeah, we were there at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I had this incredible experience. I've been a few times, but I'd never taken my daughter Cleo and she's yeah. been begging me for years. And then we took with us some of my mum's ashes. And so we had this just it was so, it was such a healing experience to go back to India to you know release her ashes into the Himalayan Ganges mm. I got into that water it was fucking wow. freezing like I think I might have died and been reborn yeah. in that instant yeah. like it was no joke <laughs> um, <laughs> but then you know also because I was with a group and I was on a pilgrimage there was a lot of praying and exaltation and and I was doing stuff with Kundalini, which is a lot to do with this snake energy, right? And seeing these incredible temples and deities. And like I was going deeper into my practice of deity worship, Mm -hmm. mainly through Radha. So, anyway, I guess all that to say, my 2020 started off like so rich and so restorative and and put me in this place where I was kind of ready to invite in joy and and love into the experiences that I had gone through for the previous three years including the death of my mother the ending of my marriage and then a relationship that was very unsafe for me uh, following my divorce and so then the pandemic hit right and it was locked down and I'm forced (laughs) indoors and you're like this was supposed to be the upbeat year (laughs) I know hang on guys I'm ready to rave and like smile and dance and whatnot and I very quickly miss being with my girlfriends Mm -hmm. and, and found myself looking at pictures of us like dancing and sweaty at 
you know, this person's birthday or this person's wedding. And then also looking at my pictures of India where I was in deep prayer. And so very long story short, during lockdown, it it gave me an opportunity to connect in an even deeper and robust way with this kind of inner force that I have, that I think we all have, which is completely unaffected by external forces. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, if I I gave her a name, I gave her a a personality and a name, and she's called Nomi. And she's a lot to do with the snake and the wolf and, and predatory animals and whatnot. But I was thinking that if she exists, and she's always there and she's the source of creativity, resilience, joy and whatnot. And she's unchanged by what's going on. Then it doesn't matter if we're in lockdown yeah. because she's free and yeah. she'll always be free. And then it doesn't matter if this person did this thing to me yeah. because she's free and she'll always be free. Mm-hmm. And so basically this whole new body of work, which I'm calling Nomi, which is going to be solo show in London um, slash online (laughs) Um, is an exploration of all of these themes and I think is the first time that I've actually enjoyed making my work which was actually your question which I'm now finally circling back to (laughs) yeah well I'd, I'd imagine that with the work that you've done previously there's elements that would be triggering for other women and their honest focus on violence do you have would you have women coming up and sharing experiences with trauma yeah because that then that you know is I'm sure amazing as it is potentially a cathartic experience for them I'm sure that also could be quite heavy and kind of keep you in a loop of that kind of energy yeah it's a lot it's a lot and it's not something that they teach you in art school and it's not something your gallery is gonna pull you aside and and chat to you about be like like, you're a therapist now also right exactly you have to figure it out and I don't know how to answer and respond often other than you know just to like listen and hold space and but yeah it, it happens a lot particularly if I give a class or a talk publicly then then I will often during a Q&A and afterwards I will have women coming and sharing their experiences which is so so beautiful to know that that they feel that they can and that they want to and that the work moves them in that way but I also I don't consider myself equipped for that Mm -hmm. so yeah so I've had to do some work on like how to just be okay in in those instances yeah and also I'm sure let your voice develop and explore other ways of seeing and experiencing so that you don't have to be constantly in touch with trauma as a muse right 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 exactly yes yeah yeah that's such a beautiful way of putting it trauma as a muse yeah yeah I've always been so curious about your way of sharing your viewpoint on the female experience and now I'm going to give you my history which is like please do I welcome it because I feel like I've had almost a much more masculine experience I have been really close with my dad since I was little and dealt with some trust issues with my mom at a young age and was bullied really badly in school by girls and dealt with issues even in the workplace early on with older women. And I've Mm. realized over time that I've built up a bit of distrust with women, especially like Mm. women in groups. And it's interesting as an adult to dig up those formative experiences and just look at them from as neutral of a place as possible and ask yourself like, is this way of thinking working for me? Is this narrative holding me back? Like, how do I, how do I deal with this? And so I've been very lucky not to experience, I think, as many of the 
the traumatic experiences with men, they've mostly been with women. And so it's just interesting how different all of those experiences are. Yeah, I think it's really important to talk about. I, mm-hmm. I'm so with you on that. And it's something I remember being asked to be on a panel. It was, you know, when like feminism was the cool thing and everyone wanted right. to talk about yeah. feminism, right? Totally. And um, and they were like, I want, we, you know, we want this conversation to really be about like women who have lifted you up. Yeah. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, I was like, so great. Can't wait. Can we also talk about this like very real phenomenon that women tear the fuck out of each other yes. and like because this is also very important Absolutely. because it's a product of patriarchy and they were like no we really just want it to be a positive panel and I was like but it's not a positive experience yeah it's not like it's so complex and so you faced a bit of that as well oh my god so much and yeah. in my career the the moments and instances that have like brought me to tears and made me feel so shit about myself and yeah. really question like am I even talented am I just an idiot like that's been due to women uh. and, and older women often who just don't they just want to put me the fuck in my place and and have gone about that in a way that's really unkind yeah. and and is part of that kind of like tribal bullying, yeah. I don't know, like way of, of being. And mm-hmm. I think that it's a product of patriarchy, which doesn't excuse it in any way. Mm-hmm. We all have to, I think as women, we all have that in us. Like I have an inner bitch you know and sometimes she's an outer bitch oh my god yeah you know and like I recognize within myself sometimes I feel really threatened and I want to just like put someone down like not to their face because I'm too much of a scaredy cat but like if I feel threatened by another woman yeah um which is usually for me like a sexual thing you know Mm. in a relationship Mm -hmm. when you encounter someone who's like just complete smoke show and brilliant and funny and whatnot and you kind of want to go she's so full of herself (laughs) or like find something bitchy to say in it like that is such a real thing you want to do that and you want your boyfriend to be like yeah yeah those teeth aren't real (laughs) yeah exactly she's so I mean you can't tell because you're a man but she had Botox I'm telling you but so I have that that within myself and I have to like recognize it and get on top of it because and look at where it comes from like I now am aware that this thing exists because we have been fed by men this and by you know just patriarchy that is age-old this belief that we're in competition with each other Mm. why because there's a finite amount of power and and resources available to us and we need those for our survival and so I think that basically we can trace it back to the birth of agriculture I'm sorry this is very I'm going on a proper tangent no no no, totally do it do it I read sapiens let's do it yeah (laughs) it's it's my understanding that you know we used to just live off the land and forage off the land and the land was free and and for whatever group were inhabiting it at the Mm -hmm. time yeah and the child rearing and birthing was more of a kind of like village um responsibility thing exactly less less emphasis on pair bonds right and then once we started to farm the land that then led to like splitting up the land Mm -hmm. and that's when men came in and were like well this is my plot over here this is your plot over there and whatnot yeah and because the men did that that meant that the women had to 
pair bond with the men for their own survival. Otherwise, they're going to go hungry, they're going to die, and their children are going to die. Who's going to look after them? We need the men who are suddenly sectioning out the land to look after us. And this is like sex at dawn. Did you read sex Sex at at dawn? dawn. Yeah, totally. So it's like, yeah, the birth of monogamy as like Exactly, the birth of monogamy. Completely, but also the birth of female competition and jealousy because, you know, if if I have to try and secure my survival... I'm going to have to like make myself look good or try and prove that I'm very fertile and whatnot. And therefore that then led to, well, I have to make her look bad and put her down, you know? And so, and that still exists today in that we feel we're socialized to believe that like there isn't enough shine for all the women to have Mm -hmm. it, you know? And that if one person's shiny, they're taking away from your shining. And, And it's not really our fault because well and it's also just been put on like turbo drive with social media because oh my god yes you know there's that compare and despair thing where it used to be like okay there's two other people of my age demographic in my village and that one has like one eye and that one has a broken leg so I'm the most attractive whereas now we're like (laughs) comparing ourselves to the entire world and it's Mm -hmm. such an insanely narcissistic generation and I completely include myself in that but I think it is so interesting that even though it feels like we've come a long way with feminism in certain ways, there's still this emphasis on the exterior that mm-hmm. it feels kind of archaic at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it's so rampant. Yeah. And it's not equitable. Like it's not it's not like men on social media are are pressured into objectifying themselves as much or in the same way as women. And that's, I'm not saying that there aren't like guys with their top off and that's their whole feed. Of course that exists. Well, if the, if it is like, if anything, that's usually the one where I'm like, well, I don't think I can date him with a straight face. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like I want someone with a terrible Instagram. If yes. I'm dating them, I want them to be taking like blurry photos of like, nature or like you can only be and they barely post exactly or you can only be good if you're a photographer (laughs) (laughs) that's your job yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i know it's wild ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So you've you've dealt with some issues with with women in the art world. What are the oh, yeah. some of the roadblocks you've you've faced based on gender, and how have you navigated those? Being taken seriously yeah. as a female artist has been the hardest thing. Yeah, um, I think that when I started to show my work after school, after becoming a mom, and then really like delving into like a, a more um, I think evolved art practice mm-hmm. and then I started to show that work I was introduced to the art world as this young British artist who's married to this TV star yeah. and so the art world was very ready to be like Psh, nah. yeah um, and it was really hard work I had to make sure that what I was putting out there that my work was fucking good and deep and well-made and interesting and to keep doing and like the next show to top the last show you know in the next series to continue to to build upon that and and chip away at the the people the gatekeepers in the art world who really didn't want to take me seriously as an artist and who are keeping an eye out for privilege or exactly but it must be really interesting to have precisely to have shown up with the history that you have, it's not like you showed up with like, here's my trust fund and my whatever. And I'm right, you know making right. this little thing on the side because I've never had a job like you had been a cocktail right. waitress for five years. You'd had all of exactly. this very real, dark, deep experience. And then yeah, based yeah. on who you fell in love with, that yeah. taints things potentially for for some time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's been hard to, I guess, like, close myself off from those critical voices and go like people like haters are gonna hate and people are gonna judge they don't know that I went out when I was 12 years old and got my first job yeah do you know what I mean they don't know that I lied about my age and was sweeping up hair in a hair salon from 12 just because I needed and wanted more pocket money like if they're going to see me as a gold digger that's really on them because my marriage though is over it was beautiful and earnest and we made an incredible kid together with great friends now um and it was pure and it just it just didn't work out but it did right like it did thank you that's such a good point it did work out it did yes you're right we have this idea that things ending means they're a failure Mm -hmm. but life ends and life's not a failure so yeah I think that it's important to to reframe things that way I mean it sounds like you have an incredible co-parent and an incredible kid and amazing memories and that's that's a success yes agreed (laughs) yeah 
Did all of those issues that you faced when you entered the art world make it difficult for you to feel comfortable calling yourself an artist for a while? Yep, definitely. I didn't start calling myself an artist until after I became a mum. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Were those things tied? Yeah, I think so, because I think when I gave birth, it was the first time in my life that I'd actually been like fully in control of anything and mm. commanded a space and known what to do and felt like I knew what to do. It was just, yeah. it was very intuitive for me. I gave birth at home with no wow. pain meds and, you know, I was super, super lucky and fortunate that it went smoothly. But for me, it was really formative because, you know, I was this, I was this girl in this house full of men mm -hmm. and I went to state schools in London where you only got paid attention to if you were like throwing chairs and whatnot. Yeah. There was always yeah. some rowdy boy throwing a chair. Yeah. So I kind of like disappeared and then, you know, and, and then was the girlfriend of this like known guy, then the wife of this known guy. And so I'd never really taken up space before yeah. and then suddenly I'm in labor and bless him he's freaking out but I know what to do yeah. for some reason it was as if I'd done it before yeah and so that experience on an interpersonal level was so huge for me and once you know I started to process the birth and the fact that I'm now a mum and I'm holding this baby and I've got so much to do that all involves sustaining her life and whatnot I just realized that, oh, wow, like I create. Yeah. I'm not a photographer. I'm not a fine art photographer. I'm not, I just create. And so I guess then I'm an artist. Yeah. And so it felt really weird having the words come out of my mouth the first few times. Like I literally remember being at a dinner or something and someone going, oh, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm an artist. And I thought someone's going to jump up and go, no, you're not. <laughs> Just all of your inner critics are going to do that. Exactly. Exactly. So I was like looking over my shoulder and like, shit, they didn't really let me get away with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I might try it again sometime. Exactly. Your first show was a celebration of becoming a mother, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Present life, it was called. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the role that text plays in your work? Because mm. obviously that stemmed from from the first photography stuff, which is now yes. <laughs> demolished. <Destroyed>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so even it's funny because my dad pointed out to me recently, he was like, we've not forgotten what you were making doing photography um, a level but I was drawing and writing on my friends bodies mm. and photographing them anyway I don't I don't actually want to talk about that work because it was like if I thought lose was shit that work was <laughs> shit, shit shitty shit shit but I have always been really into to text and into literature mm -hmm. and poetry and rap lyrics and the things that people say and the things that people say to me as well mm. um, so for my first show present life I'd created the work, which was very much about time and and trying to use art to to freeze the moment when something living starts to die. Mm. And so my placenta, which was plastinated, was in the show in marble, and I was working with neon for the first time, and all of these things. Yeah. And I had a meeting with the gallery. They had this ground floor beautiful space on the Bowery, and then they had this basement space. And they were like, do you want to present the work over both floors? 
and me as like you know woman first solo show in New York I was like oh no 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 couldn't possibly no give the ground floor give the basement sorry to like another artist that you think would be in good conversation with my work right and then I went home from that meeting and I was like dude you idiot this might be your last chance to show work yeah. in New York like, you're like give the placenta her own floor <laughs> exactly give the placenta her own floor precisely I was like think like a man like no man yeah. when offered two levels more space yeah. would turn that down like come on Buckman so I said all right if I'm gonna present work underground as well as on the ground floor Mm -hmm. then that has to make sense to me like it's it shouldn't just be the same kind of work but downstairs there's a contextual separation exactly like if you're coming down the stairs I want for you to go down deeper into the subconscious yeah and so when when I was pregnant I had had these crazy dreams which is super common and I had written some of them down and so I went back and I found the transcribe of this one dream in which I had dreamt that I'd given birth except the baby was actually this gooey little blackbird because you know you think a lot about like well what if the baby's born with a defect or what if this or what if that you know, can I, would I love it? And I gave birth to this gooey, scrawny little blackbird with these blinking, beautiful black eyes and this beak. And I instantly fell in love and I knew that that was my baby. And, but my heart broke at the same time because I knew that I'd never hear her talk, that she'd never mm. utter a word to me, right? And as you know, language and words are very important to yeah. me. And so anyway, basically, I decided that I would embroider Um, little bits from this dream onto my grandmother's lace table runner and so I I painted all the walls this kind of um, maroon and I put sand on the floor and you came down descended um, into that lower level of the gallery and it was like this dark like almost womb-like space with this wooden table and people would read the text on the on the lace runner and I had women crying and Mm. um referring to it as the poem they were like I really loved your poem piece which was which was interesting because I never considered myself a writer then and certainly not one that like created poetry but that was how some some women had felt and I I realized that that down there that installation was the most successful part of that first show Mm. and then I've continued to use text since then yeah did people freak about the placenta yes yeah absolutely someone tried to buy it it's funny because I mean it's like it's not really that funny because it's disappointing but it was the only piece in the whole show that was not for sale and I was desperate to make a sale my first show I was like I need a check yeah like someone needs to write me a check for all this hard work come on I don't want this work coming back to my studio I want it gone apart from the placenta right I can't in good faith sell that because it's Cleo's really it's my daughter's you know it's her first house exactly it's her first house and I ain't making another one no certainly not for the purpose of art and so like on the first day this really um like big deal amazing art collector came in and was like how much for the placenta and I was like, oh, no, that's, I was like, no, that's not for sale. I'm so sorry. But would Madam perhaps like any oh of these God. other words? Like, it was like, she was like, no, really, how much? I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to like. Oh, you're so good. I would have sold it. What did they, I would have sold it. What did they call it? Like screwballing something? No, what do they call it? Highballing yeah, someone? Yeah, no, to- yeah, what exactly. You're not like. When you try yeah. and. 
Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. That thing that you do. It's I'm not, not, a, it's trying not to a get move. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, this isn't a play to get more money out of you. I was like, literally like, no, it's, I'm sorry. It's not for sale. And then she didn't buy anything from that show. Bless her. No. But she, she, she did later. <laughs> she got some work later from a different series. But um, I'm clearly so not a mom yet. I'm like, oh, just sell it. It's fine. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if I should have, but there it is. Like, I'm looking at it right now and I guess it'll, it'll stick around for now. <laughs> I love that a Keats poem inspired the title of your Let Her Rave series. Mm. Do you know it by heart? You have such a beautiful voice. This is just a sneaky oh way of God. hearing you read poetry. Bless you. <laughs> I do. Let's see. So he goes, um, so he's talking about joy and melancholy, things that I think about a lot, obviously, mm -hmm. as someone who experiences depression. Yeah. And I loved this poem from when I was 18. But this, well, okay, so basically, when I first studied Keats at school, and I remember my mum helping me work on his poetry and, and fully understand it, I thought it was so romantic, this line. He says, so when the melancholy fit shall fall, sudden from heaven like a weeping cloud that fosters the droop-headed flowers all and hides the green hill in an April shroud. So that's all about like depression mm -hmm. and rain. And blah, blah, blah. Then glut thy sorrow on a morning rose or on the rainbow of the salt sand wave or on the wealth of globed peonies and I'm like oh so pretty so lovely yeah glut your sorrow on all this on nature and beautiful transcendent yeah yeah and then he goes or if thy mistress some rich anger shows imprison her soft hand and let her rave and feed deep deep upon her peerless eyes and at the time 18 years old, hadn't fallen in love yet, hadn't had my heart broken yet. I was like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Aww, he's letting her have her emotional Aww. moment, holding yeah, her hand. Boo -boo. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to just imprison your soft hand and I will allow you to <laughs> rave. Oh, no, I, I, that's what I want in a man. Oh, my God. And then... Careful what you wish for. Older, exactly, <laughs> very much so, very much so. As I got older, I was like, I still love you, kids. I still love what you did. And I think you were a genius. And I'm very sorry that you died so young. But I also have a problem. I have some notes. I have some notes. This could do with an update, my friend. You know, this idea of like, first of all, her soft hand and and in prison, like just even just using the word in prison when you're referring to someone that you love is like so terribly problematic and telling. Yeah. And then even just let her rave, like allow her the bitch will rave. Her hysterical yeah, exactly. moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I'm gonna give you this little box yeah. in which you can rave. Totally. Make it quick. Make it quick, darling. Would you try not to break anything? And aren't I a feminist and such a good evolved man? So I personally am really interested in my work in exploring things that aren't super black and white. Like yeah. it's not, it's it's not a misogynistic poem. I'm I'm not interested in going like this thing over here is really bad and this is wrong. I'm more like, oh wow, that's fucking interesting. Yeah. I have a problem with that. I also love some of it. Yeah. I've also fallen into that trap myself. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to explore with that series, Let Her Write. So much more nuance. And it's it's yeah. amazing that there is that line about the soft hands and you were using boxing gloves. Boxing gloves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did that come about because of your boxing practice? Mm, yeah. So I was going into the boxing gym about four or five times a week. 
at the time that I was like probably most obsessed with boxing and training and starting to spar and whatnot, I was in the process of separating out of my marriage. And so there was a lot, I had a lot of like frustration and disillusionment and I was going down into this space which as we spoke about earlier was like super testosterone heavy and reminded me of home and my brothers and Hackney streets and school and all the things and the experience of of sparring and like be having someone punch me and or having a fist fly at my face I was like shit like it put me back in touch with that instinctual force that I think I had lost touch with a little bit, you know, Mm, know me, that protector, that creator. So it became quite an attractive time for me, the time at the boxing gym. And then of course I would come home and go into my studio, like with my boxing gloves slung around my shoulder. And so I think that like, even just visually what I was seeing was starting to, Um, impact what I wanted to be making in the studio and then I was thinking a lot about marriage and patriarchal constructs that I think put us in on a pedestal or in a box I was thinking about chastity and purity which of course like even those words like makes me think of the romantic poets and key and so remembered that very poem which just felt so fitting with what I wanted to explore in my work at the time. So then I started to collect um, used wedding dresses. And then I just like bulk bought a bunch of boxing gloves and started to create these sculptural works with these wedding dresses, which I would like wrap around the boxing gloves and create these hanging sculptures. It's so cool that you use vintage for that too, because all those dresses have their own story, right? So you're incorporating all of those into the narrative of your work. Yeah, that's been super important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Just this idea that they've had a life. They've I don't know what that is. Yeah. You know, they've seen like if, if it's a tea towel, if it's lingerie or a wedding dress, like they've seen some things and now here they are in my studio and I'm like working with the history that these materials already come to me with. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about champ. Yes. <laughs> Nine foot uterus with boxing gloves as ovaries that was rotating on a three-story pole outside the Standard Hotel on the Sunset Strip in LA. I remember like driving and being like, oh my God, Zoe. Oh, you saw it. I saw it. Ah, Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. It was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. So similar time, it was 2016. No, it was 2015. And it was the run up to the election here. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, the election. And it was the one uh, where, like, I mean, I've lived through, I guess, four elections here in the States. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that it always happens during campaigning. Like, suddenly, it's like, rape is an open topic again and abortion and all these reproductive rights are suddenly exactly it's suddenly back on the table for debate by like old white guys like I thought we figured this out I know really guys like seriously we're back here yeah um so there was a lot being circulated and said about rape and abortion and all of this stuff and again yeah going to the boxing gym and feeling like there was just a lot of fighting like there's a war on women on the outside there's kind of like a war in my home on the inside and I got back from boxing and went into the studio and I actually meditated and then I just kind of 
pictured this glowing uterus where the ovaries are they were boxing gloves and you know I've had like obstetric experiences and surgeries and Mm, you know I have had an abortion and I've had other things that have had to be taken care of and so I feel like that sense of like when they talk about things in the press about our rights to choice or our autonomy over our body like I do take that shit personally you're talking about me do you know what I mean and like you curtail women's rights to like screenings and shit that's fucked like and I have something to say about that yeah so yeah I pictured this piece and then I and then I just I made it and I put it on my studio wall the size was determined the original sculpture that I made on on my studio wall out of neon the size of it was determined by the fact that I was using my boxing gloves as the ovaries right and so then those those were a defined size and so that it didn't look ridiculous I kind of like sketched out a uterus shape per that yeah and then people started to see that and it circulated and then of course Trump was elected which was a big surprise to me and most most of us here and on the left side of things and so then the piece kind of had even more, um, was just disseminated even more to the point that Art Production Fund, which is a public art um, organization here, asked me if I wanted to to make a public sculpture version Mm -hmm. and for that to live outside the Stand Hotel in Hollywood. Yeah. To which I was like, yes, yes, I do. Yes. (laughs) I would like that very much. You're like, I'm going to need some very large boxing gloves. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love that you've given yourself so much space to play with medium and repurpose materials in different contexts to show juxtapositions between softness and strength, whether it's like embroidering a rap lyric or a boxing glove that's made of a wedding dress and the context in which even just what you were saying about placing the subconscious on a separate floor within a show, that seems like such a, a fun way to to play with not just subject matter, but medium. Mm, thank you. I re- thank you for picking up on that because it is really important to me. These sort of polarized ideas and states and the hard and the soft and the masculine and the feminine and, and finding where they intersect is something yeah. that, that I'm really drawn to. Yeah. They're also seems to be a really purposeful choice in your work to display often quite ugly or difficult experiences with so much beauty Mm. in the aesthetic quality of the pieces themselves. How would you describe your use of beauty as a vehicle for for message? Yeah, I think that as artists, we are kind of, beauty is our medium in many Mm. ways, you know, and we are we're kind of in the business of aesthetics in yeah. some in some way even if you're like using what is grotesque mm-hmm. right you're still like that's still an aesthetic choice to deliver a message yeah. and so i i use beauty in my work as a way of like drawing people in mm-hmm. and and like inviting people to come close i'm not personally into making work that kind of like shouts a point I want you to come in and like, and and maybe something looks like very delicate, very feminine and like the colors are pastels or, or whatever it is, that deliberate choice. And then you're drawn in like, mm, that's yummy. You know, we are all a little bit like moths in some yeah. ways. Like, oh, that looks kind of appealing. Let me, and then in that space, you're allowed to take something in more than if it was like screaming at you, you know? I also think that I'm just more, 
I'm more interested in work that does a variety of things at the same time. Yeah. So to be honest with you, when I was collecting all of this vintage lingerie and I, I wanted to put Biggie and Tupac, lyrics that refer to women onto the lingerie and create this installation mm-hmm. I imagine the whole thing like you'd be walking in this space and they'd be hanging from the ceiling on invisible thread and so the the slips and the bras and what have you they would like dance and move and I was like how am I going to get the text on there and I thought sharpie it um cut it out so that like light comes through mm-hmm. the text and that all just felt too violent I'm like yeah. I'm not trying to call these men violent I'm not trying to label hip-hop as a genre as contributing to the violent nature of our culture or keeps exactly yeah. or keeps. exactly yeah I'm trying to have a nuanced conversation yeah. and so it was important to me then and I guess I guess always has been that I'm using beauty to talk about something that is ugly, mm-hmm. such as violence or um, having one's power taken away, right? Yeah. But if it's inevitable, which unfortunately it is, it can't be all ugly, right? If it's inevitable and so many of us go through it and then so many of us survive it, and so survival isn't ugly, survival has to be something that is celebrated and so Mm -hmm. this is all a very long-winded way of saying I think that like if I'm making work about rape or grief like these things that are so dark and difficult I want to use beauty because I want to to show that there is a way through there is an other side of it you know and we can also all like help each other. Yeah. And and that's that's a big part of the work as well is about like women coming together and helping each other out of these experiences. Where does sexuality fit within this conversation when trauma and sexual violence is such a strong part of your work and, and personal story? What still works about that tension between the masculine and the feminine and the exploration of power and force and freedom without fear attached to it yeah yeah I think that um I'm still on a journey with that personally in 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 figuring out like how to communicate what I want and my desires because they're fucking complex like sometimes I want to be held and I want someone to look into my eyes and other times I do not want to be held (laughs) do you know what I mean I might sometimes you want to be held down (laughs) sometimes I want to be held down sometimes I want to be called some really awful things I would never want you to call me that the next day when we're having breakfast and they're like don't put it in your art tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) exactly am I gonna be a tea towel you might exactly you might um so I I think particularly in my series Heavy Rag, which was my last show, there was some text in there. There were some things that had been said to me that were like definitely not okay. And some Mm -hmm. things that had been said to other women that were definitely not okay. But there was also, I was also exploring power and power within sexual relationships as well that like that came out of me exploring domination and submission. And so I don't look at that stuff as bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's really complex and it takes people to be really open to, to embrace work that is looking at violence 
but is also looking at like sexual play. Desire. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a whole other level of nuance, especially if people put you on that mantle of being like the woman who is properly talking about sexual violence. How dare you explore sexuality? Exactly. Within that. Exactly. Absolutely. Do you feel pressure around that? Um, sometimes I do. Yeah, honestly, I do. And then I have to, again, remind myself that that is because the pressure is mainly from other women, right? Yeah, no, totally. Like, wait a second, Zoe, don't don't publicly say anything about how you like people to pull your hair. Yeah, guys are fine with you saying that. (laughs) Right, exactly. Exactly. Guys are fine with me saying it. Other women are like, hang on a second. No, 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 no. You are feminine. You are into sexual Yeah, give us another placenta. Yeah, give us another placenta. Don't talk about how you want to be called those mean names in certain contexts. (laughs) But I also then have to remind myself that that in itself, like, like what we were talking about before is a product of sexism and patriarchy because Mm. it's this idea that we have to be one thing or the other Mm. thing we have to be the madonna or the whore yeah you know and that there's there's no gray area and we can't be both and we can't be both at once yeah and and the reason that we feel that and we feel that about others is because of our own ingrained competition with each other isn't it yeah yeah How do you hope that your work will make women feel? And how do you hope that it'll make men feel? Mm. That's such a good question. These are all such good questions. (laughs) Um, Truly, truly, you really know your stuff. Oh, it's so nice to chat. I I want women to feel seen Mm. by my work. That's, That's really important to me. I remember my brother coming to to my last solo show heavy rag and the piece that was at the door of the gallery it said inaction is apathy is collusion is violence and so it's the first thing that you saw when you walked in but then you took in the whole show and then it would be also the last Mm, thing that you saw and I don't remember making that choice deliberately to be honest with you but he was like yo that's really he goes this is hard this is hard as a man like it's good hard because it's like I come in here and I'm like yeah 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 in action mm-hmm, yes my sister's work and like <laughs> and I see it all yeah. and I read it all and I walk up the stairs and I take it all in and I come downstairs and then I'm like reminded like inaction is apathy is collusion is violence and it's like I'm responsible and I have to make some changes and it it hadn't been an intention of mine um, and I don't tend to think about how the work will affect men Mm. but I was so I was so moved that he had had that response to it and every time I, I get men sharing their responses to the work I'm like like nine times out of ten so so touched that they that they have felt that way and that you created in a way that wasn't shouty and it wasn't calling anybody out and it allowed right for that conversation to take place because if you feel attacked you're not receptive Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and they they have so much work to do men and and not but but and they are also victims of patriarchy and yeah. survivors of patriarchy yeah. like I'm glad I'm not a man do you know what I mean that I don't want to be dealing with that no 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 I'm no, not here for it me too <laughs> <laughs> well tell tell me a bit about the London show that's coming up and yes what you're excited about and hopeful for yeah so the London show it's the first time that 
I've ever had a show be entirely online, which is just, to be honest with you, it's gutting. Um, And it's your first show in your hometown. It's my first, exactly. It's my first show in London. The work's not going to London. I'm not going to London. It's going to exist essentially on a website, on the gallery's website. And so um, she's an amazing gallerist that I've really wanted to work with for years and it's her name is Pippi Howlsworth mm-hmm. Pippi Howlsworth Gallery um so it will go up on on her website uh February the 11th but I guess what I am reminding myself and what I'm excited about with this new format is that it will allow me to share the work in in a wider way like yeah you know and just if the online view is as like tight as it can be, which I'm hopeful that it will be. I mean, in terms of like, there's really good images and you can really get a sense of the work and there's good writing about it. I will be able to share that with people, you know, all over the place. And so that's exciting. You just miss like the drinks with your friends afterwards. I wanted the drinks. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to stand in the space with my girlfriends and also this is the first time that I've actually um depicted forms in my work. So there's there's animals, there's snakes and wolves and eagles, mm. but there's also I've been collaging and embroidering pictures of my best friends you know them out dancing living their best life and so I was so excited for them to come and and pick themselves out in the work yeah like Like grab a canapé and go find yourself exactly (laughs) well that's really exciting I can't wait to see it yeah oh I can't wait to share it with you and then hopefully the plan with the gallery is that I will have a show next year in in real life but again we'll see I mean who even knows what's going to happen with COVID and London and all the things. I'm just trying to just, you know, look at this online show as its own standalone thing and embrace that and in a way just kind of kiss it up to God, you know, and what will come of it will come of it. Yeah, well, it's nice that we at least have technology in this moment to keep us all connected, right? Yes, so true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time oh, to do this. I'm so appreciative. It's so nice to see it's you. It's so nice to see you too. And usually we're like really sweaty. And- really sweaty. <laughs> And that, beautiful people, concludes this episode of The Inspirati. I hope you picked up some inspiration to take into your day. Please rate, review, subscribe, and leave a comment if you're enjoying these conversations. You can follow The Inspirati on Instagram or find me at alex.merrill. Stay inspired and keep creating. The world needs it more than ever. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com